begin this three-week series tonight, Sunday nights, for the next three weeks. I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping to be able to do this in three weeks, <clears throat> and that is uh, to preach this series or teach, however you'd like to receive it, um, the ministry of the Baptist deacon. I put the word Baptist in there because that's the only denomination I've ever known in my life, and I really don't have any other. Uh, I really don't have any other. Uh, uh, perspective to give you. I believe, I was talking with Brother Jeff Crow after church this morning, uh, you don't find the, the title of, the, uh, of any church in the New Testament being called Baptist, but I do believe that the Baptist denomination is the closest to the first century church when you compare today's doctrine, what we hold to, to the doctrine of the what, of the first century church that you read about in the book of Acts and then throughout Paul's epistles. I think the Baptist church is closest to that. That's why I'm a Baptist. Uh, for a long time, I was a Baptist because that's where my mom and dad took me to church. Um, they went to the church, and I went to the church. They gave me no say in the matter whatsoever. Um, that's where we went as a family. And But there, there, there did come a point when looking at what the Baptist church holds to and comparing that with what Paul's writings and the book of Acts reveals, I believe that what we have is, is the closest thing to the doctrinal stand. And I know that um, the, the New Testament church didn't meet on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night like we do. I think there's some liberty in those things, but I'm referring to the doctrinal stands that we hold to and those fundamentals of the faith. Um, I, I believe that's what you end up with. On December 17th, we're going to be electing two deacons. Um, we have six deacons in our church body. Um, those deacons are Jeff Ingram and Frank Brown and Terry Childers and Wayne Martin, Roy Squires, and Mike Blaylock. We rotate every year. We rotate two of those deacons off, and we elect two new deacons so that we don't have a complete turnover of that body all at once, uh, we rotate one-third of that body off. They are elected for a three-year term. Our deacons can serve two consecutive three-year terms or a total of six years, and then they have to sit out for a year from that office. For tonight and for two more Sundays, I want to consider their ministry according to the New Testament um, and see what the Scripture says about that. I told them in private this evening, and I'll say it to you publicly, I am thankful for the men that are currently serving as deacons in this church. They do a great job. They demonstrate what it is to be a New Testament church deacon. Um, so, so unless you're wondering if I'm trying to get to one of our deacons through this series, I'm not. I am so thankful for the men God has given us in our church to serve. And I hear, um, I hear uh, people pastors specifically, speaking to trouble in the church and the antagonism between that pastor and the deacons that serve there, I have never known that, and I don't know that David Cross before me ever did. I am so thankful for the men that God has given us to serve in this church as deacons. The other thing I'm thankful for is the number of men in our church who are qualified to be deacons. We have six deacons that currently serve. We have far more than that who are eligible to serve. I'm thankful for that, and I say that because there are a lot of churches where they don't have any men qualified biblically to serve as a deacon in their church. I remember Pastor Cross, uh, the man who served here before I did, Pastor Cross went over to uh, to Africa, and he had the opportunity, I think on one occasion, I think this was the setting, um, so if Denise Cross is listening by way of live stream tonight, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, Pastor Cross had the, and, and Denise, they had a, a setting where they got to sit down with a bunch of deaf pastors over in Zambia. And one of the pastors asked, uh, they were doing a Q&A time with them and just gleaning some things from the crosses. And I think it was there that Pastor Cross was asked, what do we do in our church if we don't have men qualified to be deacons according to the scriptures about what you're saying about deacons? And his reply was, then you don't have deacons. You, we don't bend the rules in a church um, to make it fit us. We bend so that we conform to Scripture. And if, if a church doesn't have 
uh, men who meet the qualifications of a deacon, then it's simple. Don't have deacons. Pray that God will bring you some men that can serve as deacons. But always follow what Scripture said. In fact, that's one of my opening statements here tonight. May I read it to you? It says, we are not to give the traditions of churches or teaching of men precedence over the Scripture. The Bible is to be the final authority for all matters of faith and practice at Faith Baptist Church. So what we do here, it has to be in compliance with the Word of God. And the office of deacon in a church is a God-given office. Now, we also have 10 officers that serve in our church. That's not necessarily a biblical office, but it is an administrative office that we use here in our church to help us with the business of the church. But the role of deacon is different. Like the role of pastor, the the role of a deacon is God-given, and we want to... uh, We want to spend some time over the next three weeks to look at this office because I think you'll be interested to know how much God's word talks about the deacon. We we talk a lot about the role of a pastor in a church and the qualifications of a pastor in a church. I don't know that we spend adequate time, though, talking about the role in the office of deacons. So we're going to do that over the next three weeks. I'm going to ask you to turn tonight to Acts chapter number 6. We're going to springboard from here. Um, and when you go with me through these seven verses tonight that we're going to look at, you're going to say to yourself, Acts chapter 6 does not contain the word deacon, pastor. How do you know? Well, it doesn't have the word deacon in it, but it's very likely that this is the first time the office of deacon is described. And let me say this, it doesn't, at least the King James Bible doesn't have the word deacon in it in English. But we're going to make our way through this passage, and the word deacon in the Greek language is found in this passage. So if you're in an English Bible tonight, you would have a valid argument. Pastor, it doesn't use the word deacon here, but to describe what the work is of the deacon, God uses that word in the, in the Greek language to convey what he wants done. So I think this is very likely the first time that the office of deacon and his work is described in the New Testament. There was a situation that arose here in the New Testament church, and it revealed a need. And that need was to set aside a group of men to be servants of the church. So tonight, we're going to look in this first message, we're going to look at the reason for a church's deacon. The reason for a church's deacon. Later on, we'll look at the requirements and then the rewards of the deacon. But tonight, why do we have deacons in a church? Let's read the first seven verses of Acts chapter number 6. And in those days, uh, and if you want to know what those days were, go back and read Acts Acts 4 and 5. Because that's what's happening. Uh, The church is growing by leaps and bounds. Actually, two Chapter 2, verses, uh, chapter 4, and then chapter 5. The gr- church was growing like crazy. So in those days of explosive growth in the church there in Jerusalem, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were, neglect- were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason or reasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we, the apostles, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Perminus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, the apostles, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests 
were obedient to the faith. Boy, I, I don't like us to overlook that. There was a number of, Jude, of Jewish priests that were converted to Christianity. What a, what a great thing going on here in, this, uh, here in this church. So in these first seven verses tonight, we're going to talk about the reason that a church ought to have deacons. The names of the first deacons are given to us here. The thing that brought about the, uh, brought about the calling of these deacons and the, the choosing of these deacons, it's all discussed here. And so that's what we want to look at tonight, is the reason for the office of deacon in a Baptist church. Why do we have deacons? And we're going to use this, we're going to use this setting here to, to explain that. So let's ask God to, uh, let's ask God to bless our time together and then go through here. And start tonight on this this brief series. I know it's it's short; um, it's only three sermons, but I, I hope it will be advantageous to our church, not just tonight, but on into our future. Um, every time you have the opportunity, church, and and this was the command: the church was to choose these deacons. We don't do that because of some uh, Baptist thing; we do it because of a Bible thing. The church called the deacons. So every time you have opportunity to elect deacons. Come back and consider these these messages that we're going to uh, talk about in these three weeks, and prayerfully consider who you nominate and who you elect. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, not only is it full of doctrinal truth, but it is full of practical truth. And we learn how to function two thousand years after this church was was meeting and worshiping and choosing deacons. We do the same thing here at Faith Baptist Church, and we attest that continuity to the truthfulness and the veracity of your word. Men have come and gone. Teachers have come and gone. Evangelists and missionaries and pastors have come and gone. But your word abides still. And it's a good foundation on which we can build the practices of our church. Not just what we believe, but how we function. And Lord, I pray that this this quick series will be advantageous to our church. Uh, Teach us about deacons and help us to be biblically minded. Um, Or there are a lot of things we can do in our church uh, that we have some leeway in, but this isn't one of them. You've given instruction, not just here, but in other places. You've given instruction as to the office and and the role and the requirements of of this, this man called a deacon. So help us, Lord, to Help us to pay attention to it. We pray in your name. Amen. So we're going to stay here in Acts for most of tonight. (coughs) Excuse me. And we're going to start in verse number one. Remember our topic, the reason for deacons. First, the problems the church faced. The problems the church faced. These deacons show up because there was a problem in the church. In fact, there were more than one. Uh... Somebody said, where you have two or more people, you have the potential for trouble. That's not true. You only need one person with a sin nature all by himself. I think it was Doc told this story a while back. And I don't know if you, if you heard it before, just act like you haven't. There was this guy that got shipwrecked on an island all by himself. He looked all over that island. Nobody else was there. He's there all by himself. And he's not being rescued. He was there for one year and two years and five years and ten years. Finally. After 10 years, he gets rescued from this island. Being there, can you imagine that? Being isolated all by yourself. 10 years. And the people showed up on this island one day, and this guy comes running out. He's, man, am I glad to see you. And they said, what in the world has been going on? He said, I've been living on this island by myself for 10 years. Nobody else is here. No animals to talk to. No people, nothing. I've been here for 10 years. And they said, well, we'll take you with you. And they started looking around at what he'd been doing. And there were three buildings on that they noticed there were three buildings, crudely constructed, but three buildings, I think. And the rescuer said, what's that building right there? He said, man, that's the house I've been living in. He said, I've been roughing it for 10 years, but that's been my house. And he said, what's that building next to it? And he said, well, that's the church I go to. I built that church, and that's where I go. I go to worship the Lord. And he said, and then they pointed at that third building. They said, What's that building over there? He said, oh, that's a church I used to go to. I don't like those people over there. <laughs> you don't have to have, you do not have to have two people. You just need one person with a sin nature, 
and we can have problems. Well, in this church in Jerusalem in this first century, not long after the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven, problems showed up. And those problems revealed the need for deacons. So let's look at these, let's look at these problems. Um, and look, every church has problems. Every church does. The reason is because every church has sinners going to it. Um, but I, I want to give you a thought, and I, I hope you'll remember this. We may not need this truth right now, but we will. We, we will. Our church has been through troubled times before, and we will go through those times again. May I share a thought with you that I hope every one of us can keep in mind for those times. This is the truth. The Holy Spirit has a remedy for every issue in a church if we are willing to obey God's word in those situations. That is true. The Holy Spirit has a remedy for every issue in a church if we are willing to obey God's word in those situations. Let's talk about their problems, but keep that in mind when when we have our problems, all right? Here's the first problem they faced. They faced the problem of multiplication. Multiplication. Twice in those seven verses that we just read, the Bible says that God multiplied the number of disciples in this church. The church growth in Jerusalem went from addition to multiplication. You know, things things grow quickly when you stop adding and you stop multiplying. Well, that's what happened. It says in verse number one, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. It says there in verse number seven, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Acts chapter two, 3,000 people were added to the church. Can you imagine that? I want you to keep this in mind. There's only one church in Jerusalem at this time. And in one day, they added 3,000 members. In Acts chapter number number 4, verse number 4, it says that there were 5,000 men. And that word men is not the word uh, that describes homo sapiens. It's the word that describes males. In Acts 4, 5,000 men, not counting their families, were added to that same church. In Acts chapter 5 and verse number 14, the Holy Spirit quits giving numbers. He quits counting and just says this. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. So one day, 3,000 new church members. Another day, 5,000 men plus their families. Now in Acts chapter 5, multitudes of men and women are joining the church. My point is this. The first church at Jerusalem was growing exponentially so fast that most Bible historians are in agreement that at least 25,000 people were in this church in a matter of months after Christ ascended. Can you even imagine that? A church starting with 11 or 12 men and in a matter of months having 25 or 35,000 people that they're ministering to. That's crazy. We've seen some explosive growth in churches around here or so-called churches, but nothing like this. So they had this problem of multiplication because as a church grows in numbers, you know what happens? It also grows in problems and trials. That's just the way it works. I'll give you a very practical, I'll give you a very practical illustration of that. Some of you have not been sitting in the seat you've been sitting in on Sunday mornings because you get here a little too late. And where you like to sit, somebody else is in your seat. That's a problem. For some people, that's a great problem. Don't ever let it be a problem. You you know there are those churches. There are some of them. There are some church members. Man, if you get their seat, they will come and stand right next to you till you get up and move. They may not say anything, but they're not moving until you do. But that's a problem with growth. That's a good problem to have. But that's what was going on in church. They had, first of all, the problem of multiplication. The Bible says twice the Holy Spirit is the number of disciples. It wasn't addition. It was multiplying. 
Well, there was another problem that resulted from the problem of multiplication, and it was the problem of murmuring. Murmuring going on in the church. The church was multiplying. Look what it says there in verse number 1. When the number of disciples was multiplied, then there arose murmuring in the church. There were two general classes of believers in the New Testament church. And keep in mind, in this first church, they were all Jews. And that's a broad statement. There may have been a Gentile here or there, but by and large, this was a 99% Jewish congregation that had been converted from Judaism of some sort into Christianity. In that church, there were two types of converted Jewish Christians. The first is the the Aramaic-speaking Jews. They were the ones who were by tradition, by birth, by culture. They were coming out of Judaism into Christianity. But they still spoke the language that they spoke before. They kept it with them. And that language was Aramaic. They were Jews that were native to Israel. The second type of Jewish convert that was in this church were called Hellenistic Jews. And they had a greatly... Uh, they had a great influence of the Greek culture in their lives. They had not been living in Israel. They were most likely living somewhere else and had moved to Jerusalem. But where they had lived, they had been influenced by the Greeks. So they're called Hellenistic Jews. They had lived in Greek-speaking countries. They had come back to Jerusalem And even if they were able to speak Aramaic, they probably did so with a Greek accent. And so you had these two markedly different uh, groups. The one who were traditionally and culturally and religiously had been Jews. But then there was this other group, and they they had absorbed some of the Greek culture, certainly the Greek language, into their homes. And they brought that with them when they came to Jerusalem. So what you had in this church were thousands and thousands and thousands of people, but they were different from one another by culture and by speech and by background and by life experience. The murmuring was created because a friction arose here. That word murmur in verse number one, the word means literally means secret debate. Secret debate. It's not an open forum. It's not discussion face-to-face. It's secretive. Disruptive discussions that were taking place behind the backs of other people. Note this. In the Bible, murmuring every time it's used, Old Testament or New, every time murmuring is used, it's in a negative context and it brings about negative results. There, well, so I'm saying that, church, to tell you this. There's no place for murmuring in a church. Don't tolerate it in your church. If it springs up and you find yourself all of, all of a sudden you're in a, a conversation where it dawns on you, you know what this is? This is murmuring. This is disruptive discussion. I promise you it's going to have a negative context and it will have a negative result. So don't partake in it. Here's what was going on in the church. Satan had attacked attacked this church already in two different ways. Satan had attacked externally through persecution and had also attacked internally. Dr. Manley mentioned it in our Bible study this morning. He had attacked internally in chapter number 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, two church members. He had tried persecution in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 internally with the hypocrisy and the lying to the Holy Spirit of Ananias and Sapphira, also in chapter 5, both of those attacks, you know what the result was? Church growth. Persecution, when they were persecuted, the Bible says God added to them. And then when God had to address Ananias and Sapphira, and that's a, that's a, uh, a sobering story, isn't it? These two people walk into a church, mark this, This is a good warning for all of us. They walked into a church and pretended to do something that they hadn't really done. And in that church, God struck them dead. Boy, can you imagine that? Visibly, 
before brothers and sisters in Christ, they drop dead. Him first, then her. They lied about what they were doing. They were presenting themselves to be something they were not. And you know what the Bible says? Great fear fell upon that church. And the second thing it says, God added to it. We, we ought to strive to be a holy people inside this church family. You say, well, that'll, well, if you preach about holiness and righteousness and separation, staying away from this sin and that sin, that's, people aren't going to join the church. I don't need people to join the church. What we need is for God to add people to this church. It's not, we don't want people to join. We want God to add them. And he'll honor his word. He does it time and time again. So this murmuring's going on in the church. Um, Satan had tried to attack it. Uh, uh, externally and internally, and this is another internal attack. If Satan cannot cripple a church from outside pressure, he will certainly look to do so from inside interference and dissension. Don't allow that to happen. But if dissension and murmuring comes into a church, and if it takes root, and if it, if it, has, uh, if it starts to impact believers, that church will crumble. Maybe not completely, but it will go through a terrible time. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25? Every city or house divided against itself, uh, against itself shall not stand. The church is compared to a house. Jesus said every city and every house divided against itself shall not stand. So there's this murmuring going on. You have the problem of multiplication, and now you have the problem of murmuring. What a church needs is unity. Unity. Guard the unity, Ephesians 4 tells us. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and it's talking about the context of a local church. 1 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 4, Philippians 1, Philippians 2, all of those call for unity in a church. And Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 says, Mark those that cause division among you and avoid them. God is serious about that. This murmuring that was going on in the church, not tolerated by God. He said, mark those that cause division and dissension and avoid them. In another place, he says, put them out of the church. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians 5, you had that man that was uh, you had that man that was committing adultery with his stepmother of all things, and, and the Holy Spirit told Paul to tell that Corinthian church, put that guy out of the church. You voted him into the church, vote him out of the church. Don't let that get tolerated. God says the same thing about the person that causes dissension. That's how serious God is about unity in a church body. So this church is facing problems. It has the problem of multiplication. Sure it does. And now the problem of murmuring. And that led to the problem of ministry. The problem of ministry. What was the, what was the murmuring going on? The murmuring going on was, you remember I said there's two types of saved Jews in this church? There were the Aramaic-speaking Jews, and then there were the Hellenistic Jews. Those that were Greek speakers came to him. That's who's talked about in verse number one. And they said, you all are profiling the Hellenistic Jews, and you're not giving them the part of the, part of the daily ministration, it's called. What is that? What's going on there? Well, let's explain what's going on with the problem of ministry. And the word ministry, what it, what, let's just be reminded of that. What does the word minister mean? In verb form, if you are ministering to someone, what, is, what, is, what are you doing? Serving them. So when we talk about the minister of a church, we're talking about the servant of the church. If we're talking about ministering to people, we're talking about serving people. So here, the problem of ministry, it's the problem of serving people. What is going on here? The Christians in Jerusalem, and you know this from Paul's writings and the testimony we have, the Christians in Jerusalem were being persecuted. They were being uh, robbed. They were being beaten. We saw that with, with Paul this morning. They were also denied jobs because of their faith. 
And so church members pooled their resources to meet the needs of people in that church body. You can go to Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, tell you about that. Some of the more wealthy members in the church, for example, Barnabas, they were selling property that they had, turning it into cash, bringing that to the church, and saying, let's just use this to meet the needs of especially of our widows in this church, let's meet their needs. And they would give it to the church. That's chapter 4, verses 34 through 47. That's what's going on. But for some reason, those Greek-speaking widows were not getting their daily allotment of food. I don't know what the reason was. Those defending them said, you've singled them out, and so the murmuring was going on. They're just doing that because we're Hellenistic in our, in our lifestyles. We're not, we're not native Jews to Israel. We're Jews, and we're converted to Christ, but we're not like them, and so they're withholding. Those apostles who were overseeing the food distribution, those apostles, they're withholding that because we're Greek speakers. Well, that's why they were, that's why they were complaining. Here's the truth, though. Do you remember what we said at the very beginning? They were adding thousands at a time to this church. And here's what happened. The church grew, and there was more ministry than there were ministers. That's what, that's what the truth was. This thing, all of a sudden, the tail was wagging the dog. They had so much, they had so much to do. And they could not do it themselves. So the Greek-speaking Jews felt like they were singled out, especially their widows, and the murmuring started. And the problem of ministering adequately to a church is still a potential for a church body today. That can still happen. That's why it takes more than the pastor and staff to do that. That's why we have deacons. There's this problem of ministering. In a small church, it is... It is barely possible for a pastor to meet all the needs of a church. A small church, it's barely possible for that pastor to do that. In a medium-sized or larger church, it's absolutely impossible for one man to minister to the needs of a body. It just can't be done. This church had 20,000 people coming to it. This church had twenty-five to 30,000 people who, who were being persecuted and who had physical needs. There's no way 11 apostles were going to be able to meet this. When everything is left to these apostles, when today everything is left to a pastor, some people, just because of logistical impossibilities, some people are going to be neglected. And if they're neglected, I'll, I'll tell you this from experience, they will be offended. That will happen. Problems are going to come. The church is going to suffer. So what's the key here? The key in this problem, how how can we fix that? As a ministry grows, more members must be involved in ministering. This is how it works. We pray and ask God to add people to our church then you and I have to do, we have to get involved in the service. You can't look to the pastor to do all of that. You can't look to the pastor and the associate pastor to do all of that. Now, should we be ministering by example and by calling? Absolutely. But there's no way that 11 men were going to effectively minister to 20,000 plus people and meet their needs without somebody getting overlooked. And they did. And when they got overlooked, they got offended and the murmuring started. Years ago, we had a family leave our church because the second cousin of either the husband or the wife died and they didn't get a call from the pastor. You know why they didn't get a call from the pastor? We had no idea that second cousin died. Do you see how little it takes for, for you or me, let's be honest, how little it takes for you or me to be offended? That's our flesh, and that's Satan, and let's recognize it for who it is. But what we can do is say, well, listen, then let's get, let's get some people together and figure out how to meet those needs. And that's what they did here. So first, there are the problems that this church 
faced. The second thing I'd share with you in verse number two is the priorities that the church faced. The priorities the church faced. It says in verse 2, the 12 called the multitudes of disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should serve, uh, leave the word of God and serve tables. The priorities of the church. There are two of them mentioned here. Now I'll say this, and I appreciate this. The apostles got together and they took responsibility. They had been trying to be everywhere, doing everything, and they acknowledged the fact that they were incapable of doing it by themselves. And so they said, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That's what we've been trying to do, and it's not working. We failed in this. So there's got to be a better way to do it. And so he meant, they, they mentioned here the two priorities. First, there's the priority of preaching. They said it's not reason that we should leave the word of God, the priority of preaching. That priority really involved, and we'll learn this later in verse number four, the priority of preaching involved two elements. It involved the preparation in the word of God, and it involved praying in that preparation. It says in verse number four, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Those two things for a pastor cannot be separated prayer, and ministry of the word. If these men spent the majority of their time meeting the physical needs of the church, their time in prayer and their time in preparation in God's word would suffer. And that just won't work in a church. This isn't about a social fellowship. This is about coming together as a church body and determining what the word of God says, who we are to be and what we are to be about. So the priority of preaching had to be recognized. The apostles were doing good things. Let's, let's back up and say this. They're doing good things in trying to help these widows who need food. They're doing good things, but they weren't doing the best thing that they should have been doing. And that was ministering in prayer and the word. That was what the apostles had been given. Neither apostles or pastors are above the routine duties of ministry. We ought to be. If we're going to have a work day at church, Daniel and I ought to be the first ones here and the last ones to leave. We lead by example. That's how it ought to work. But we ought not to be the only ones here on that work day. This is not our church. This is our church. You see what I'm saying? Now, ultimately, it's the Lord's church. I understand that. But I'm saying if, you're, if this is your church family, then it's your church family. Pastors, I, I know of some that they are their master, their master. Uh, what's the word I'm trying? Delegators. And if there's something that needs to be done at the church, they are not going to have dirty hands at the end of that project. That's not right. Pastors lead by example. To what were the apostles, though, to give priority? To what should pastors give priority? The ministry of the word. There is the priority of preaching. May I tell you that it is not, it is not by accident that when you walk into these doors, the focal point of this room is this pulpit. It's the only place in this auditorium that has spotlights pointed to it. There's two of them. There are one's there and one's there. This is meant to be the center of this room, the center of attention. Because what takes place here, whether I'm here or David Cross is here or an evangelist is here or a missionary is here or the next pastor is here or a staff pastor is here, because what takes place at this pulpit is priority to a church. There's a reason that this pulpit, today we call this a pulpit. But you know, back in the day, this was not called a pulpit. You know what it was called? The sacred desk. Isn't that an interesting term? The sacred desk. Is it because of the man standing behind it? No, it's because of what rests on it. What goes forth from here is the word of God. There is the priority of preaching and it was being it was being impaired in the way they were doing their ministry. 
May I share a personal note with you? And this is just very practical, and I'm just going to be real. I'm just going to be real honest with you about, and we'll get to the rest of this. In any given message, I'm going to put between six and 12 hours into that message in study and preparation and prayer. So what I give to you in 45 minutes to an hour, there's probably between six and 12 hours of prep that has gone into that. I preach at our church as often as I can because God's called me to be the pastor and the preacher here. Now, we give that, I give that up to other missionaries or, or our associate at times or, or some of our, our guest preachers. But this is the responsibility God's given me. So if I'm preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, you can figure that somewhere in my work week, there's about 20 to 32 or 34 hours that has gone into this. In addition to that, there's administrative duties. Now, some of those I delegate to Brother Daniel or I delegate to our secretary, Sheila. But there are administrative duties that only I can do as pastor. You've entrusted that to me. I, I'm saying that because it's essential for a pastor, if he's going to feed a church from the word of God, he's got to prepare to do that. Some may shortcut this process. And that's easy to do today. It's easy to shortcut that process. Because there are literally thousands of sermons online that I could download this morning 10 minutes before walking in here and read to you. I'll give you a scary example. This is scary. I told my wife about this. I had chaplain training over in North Carolina a few months ago. My friend Chris and I were traveling back from North Carolina, and we got on the topic of artificial intelligence. That was when we were still in our Revelation series. And uh, he was telling me about this website he had, he had looked up, and he said, Mark, he said, what do you think about AI and all that? And we got into it a little bit, and he said, he said have you looked at that? Have you? And I, I, I accosted him for knowing about this site. You know, he said, have you known about this site where um, artificial intelligence, you can use artificial intelligence to build a sermon? I said, you got to be kidding. He said, what text are you preaching this Sunday? And I told him. He said, what's the topic? And I told him. I think at that time, um, well, I won't guess because I don't remember exactly what it was. In less than five minutes, in less, I was driving. He's messing around with the phone. In less than five minutes, we had a three-point sermon with illustrations from the Baptist perspective in the King James Bible on the topic I was preaching on that morning. In less than five minutes. He said, what is your children's church doing that day? And I said, I honestly, I said, Brother John kind of lays out that curriculum for the scope of the children's church. I don't know. He said, he said, okay. In less than five minutes, he had a coordinated children's church lesson that went along with what I would preach to you in less than five minutes. And it was all there with suggested activities. I'm saying you can shortcut this process, but you're ripping yourself off as a pastor and you're ripping off the people of God. So there is this, there is this priority of preaching. Let me wrap this up and we'll move on to the second priority that they talk about by saying this. Prayer and study have no substitutes for the effective preacher. I can go online or I can use artificial intelligence and you may not know the difference, but the Holy Spirit of God does. So if I, if I can make this personal plea, give your pastor the preparation time he needs, whether it's me or the next guy. Give him the preparation time he needs to adequately feed Faith Baptist Church from the Word of God. How does that translate? That translates when you call up here Tuesday through Friday before noon, don't get mad at Sheila when she doesn't let you talk to me. She doesn't look the part, but she is a wonderful defensive lineman. She runs defense for her pastor. Missionaries might call. They're not getting through before noon. That's my study time. If you call with an emergency, that's one thing. But if you call for some other reason, if you shoot me a text before noon and you don't get a response, that's my study time. 
What I'm asking you is to allow your pastor that time to prepare to effectively feed Faith Baptist Church. You may not need every sermon I preach or teach from here, but somebody does because God's worked it that way. So the first priority in this church, the priorities they face, the first one is the priority of preaching. The second one was the priority of people, and that's mentioned there too. He says in verse number two, the word of God. We should leave the word of God. And what's the other option? The priority of people. It's described in that phrase, serve tables. Serve tables. Preaching is important. People are important. Sermons are to be preached. Prayers are to be made. But people are to be served. There are priorities in the church. And the needs of the people in the Jerusalem church, it was there. We say it often, the church is not a building, it's the people. That's exactly true. And where there are people, there will be needs. So there's the priority of preaching, but now there's the priority of people. The early church needed God's word, but they also needed food. They were being denied food in the market because they were Christians. They were denied jobs because they were Christians. They had no way to get food. That's why people were coming. The apostles enlisted the help of others to get the work of the ministry done. Today there is a great need. Steve Lawson called it a famine in the land. There is a great need for biblically sound expositional preaching. But running parallel to that need is there is a need for personal ministry that meets the needs of the church members as well. The apostles address both of those in that statement in verse number two. Your pastor can visit people, but I can't visit everybody. I just can't do it. We have, uh, we're, we're averaging about 175 to 200 people on any given Sunday now. There's no way that I can visit every person in our church that needs to be visited. There are some to which I have to give priority. Daniel and I stopped at the hospital on Tuesday and had prayer with Jim Whip before they transferred him over to Turkey Creek. That was a, that was a visit where his pastors needed to be there. We need to be there for that. But I can't make every hospital visit. I, I, logistically, I just can't do it. I can go to the hospital, but I can't spend the entire day at that hospital. Logistically, I can't do that. There are times when someone other than the pastor will meet the need that you or your family have. You be understanding of that. Don't be offended. It's nothing I have against you. But I have the same 24 hours. If I could, if I could get three more hours in a day, I would do it. I would, we would have 27 or 28-hour days, not 24. But God didn't ask me how long I wanted, I wanted the day to be. So I have the same time you do. And so this is what was going on in the church. Some needs in that church demanded the apostles' involvement and attention. But there were other needs that someone else could meet. So what did they do? Well, there were the problems the church faced. There's the priorities that they faced, the preaching of the word and the people of the church. So what did they do? The proposal that the church faced. That's in verses 3 through 7 there. The proposal, or three, three through five for right now. The problem, what was the problem? Too much work, not enough workers. Too much ministry, not enough ministers. That was the problem. The priorities, they were given by God. The priority of preaching and the priority of people. So here's what they proposed. They made a proposal to the church body. The first thing is the church faced a commission. The church is commissioned there in verse number 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. The church body was commissioned to find seven men that met certain qualifications whom, and this is what it says, right? Whom we may appoint over this business. The church was responsible to to find and choose these men who would become special servants in the church. The truth is, as I said, we all ought to serve one another, but these were to be special servants. The deacons at Faith Baptist Church serve at the pleasure of the church. You've elected them. I do my best to avoid the phrase, my deacons. I don't like to hear pastors say that. My deacons this and my deacons that. They're not my deacons. They're our deacons. They serve at the pleasure of the church. The church called them. 
they're, they're here for serving the church. I, as I said a moment ago, I'm so thankful for the relationship I have with our deacons, but they're not mine. They're yours. Over this business, we want to appoint them over this business. That doesn't mean they're over the business of the church. That's not what this is talking about. This phrase has been misconstrued and misinterpreted. The deacons are not appointed to their roles and elected to their roles with administrative authority. The Bible says this business. What's the business we've been talking about? Helping the members of the church. Serving these widows. The ministry of ensuring, in this one, it was ensuring that these widows got the food that they needed to live. It was a very practical ministry to which they've been called. Their work was, look at verse 2 again, would you? Their work was to serve tables. This is a key phrase. In the area in which we live, this is not always agreed with, and it's certainly not always understood. Deacons are not called and elected to rule. They are elected and called to serve. That's what God's given them for. Find me in the church where the deacons were called to be administrators. They weren't. They were called to serve. In fact, let's go to that that phrase in verse number two. You remember I said the Greek word for deacon is evident here? It's the second to the last word in verse number two. That word serve in the Greek language is spelled D-I-A-K-A or K-O-N-E-O, diakono. Does that sound similar to deacon? It should because it is. When you go look up the word deacon, it's first cousin to that word. The word deacon in its original form means to serve. That word means to be an attendant, to meet the needs of others. It draws a word picture. The Greek language is a picturesque language, and it draws a language of one who is so busy about his work that he's kicking up dust. He is serving the church. So a deacon is a man chosen by the church to meet the practical needs of its members, not to rule over them. Let me me take this a step further. A man who sees the office of deacon as a position of authority or a man who fails in his office to serve the needs of the church is not ready to be a deacon. What I would do is I would mark those men who have a servant's heart and I would put them at the top of your list of people to nominate to be a deacon because that's what it is. The commission for the church was to choose men from their membership to serve the church. First, they, had, they, they, they faced a commission. Second, they faced a challenge. These deacons would be serving men, but they would also be special men. They were special in the fact that there were some requirements to them. We're going to detail that next, willing Lord, uh, next Sunday night. But the challenge here was to find three, or or to find men rather, that met three qualifications, and they're listed here. Look at that verse. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint. Three qualifications there, just quickly through them. They were to be good men. The Bible says they're to be of honest report. That refers to their testimony. They were to be well thought of. The way in which they lived their lives should have earned them the respect and the love of their church members. They were to be good men of honest report. They were saved and they were evident in their living the Christian life. Second, not only good men, godly men. The Bible says they were to be full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost. Deacons are to be men who are led by God. They display that in their lives. How can we know if they're full of the Holy Ghost? Go to Galatians chapter 5 and read verses 22 and 23 and see if the men that you're talking about demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Not perfectly because none of us will do that. But they're to be godly men who are full of the Holy Ghost. You will regret electing men to be deacons who are not Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. Because what is the alternative to being spirit-filled in the New Testament? Being led by my flesh. There's, only, there's no gray here. Paul said, walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
So look for spirit-filled men, good men, godly men, and gifted men. The Bible says that they are to be full of wisdom. Why are they wise? They're wise because they know the word of God. This is true wisdom. This, they're, they're familiar with God's word. They know, how to, they know how to use God's word in a practical way. They base their decisions on thus saith the Lord. They don't bring personal agendas to the table, but they're interested in what is best for this church. How can I best serve them? Three solid characteristics that still ought to be sought in men today. Good, godly, and gifted. Men who have a good report, they're a good report, honest report, good testimony. Men who are full of the Holy Spirit and men who know the word of God. Now we're going to get into more details next week when Paul writes to Timothy about deacons. So the process of choosing Faith Baptist Church's deacons needs to always be based on biblical qualifications, nothing else. Don't vote for a man. Don't nominate a man because he's your friend. Don't nominate them because they're good businessmen. Don't nominate them because they have this or that going for them. Nominate them because they stack up biblically. Let God's word be our final, uh, our final rule of faith and practice. It's telling us what to look for. In designing this process, God assumes we will make biblical decisions in choosing our deacons. God assumes that. That's why he gave it to the church to vote. So use, use his word in choosing these men. They don't have to be good businessmen. They don't have to have a lot of money. And I'll say this, they don't have to be of certain age. The Bible doesn't put an age requirement on this. We had a young man that went here who for years before he was finally elected to be a deacon, he was doing the work of a deacon better than some of our deacons. Finally, he was elected. I think the biggest reason he didn't get nominated and elected was because of his age. But the Bible doesn't say anything about that. Use biblical qualifications to choose your deacons. So the church faced a commission, get you some honest men. They faced a challenge, you've got to find these qualifications in them. And they faced a choice. They got together and they chose these these men. They were presented to the apostles for final approval. That's an interesting thing. The Bible says that the apostles told the church, get, get a list of seven men, bring them, and, and here's what you're looking for in these seven guys, these things, and then bring them to us. And they did. And the Bible says they prayed over them and the apostles laid their hands on them. The apostles gave final approval to that. That's a little different than the way we do things here, but we do, we, we do practice a form of that. We use a nominating committee at our church. We nominate um, two deacons, two current sitting deacons, and then we nominate two men who are members at large. They can be deacons, but generally they just need to be church members. And those four men plus the pastor form a nominating committee. We will be doing that, by the way, next Sunday. We're going to form our nominating committee next Sunday. So think about that. We need two deacons. We need two men who are just members at the church. Um, And then I sit on that committee. And then over the next couple of weeks, you're going to nominate people. You're going to nominate men to be deacons in our church. And you'll give those suggestions. We're asking you to nominate two. Don't give us a a list of 15 men. We need two deacons, so nominate two deacons. Um, Now, you're each going to turn in two different names, and then you give those nominations to one of the five men on that committee, myself, one of the two deacons, or one of the two church members that are elected to that committee. You give that. Then we meet together. At the end of the time, we meet together. And before I start calling, before I start calling men to see if they're willing to serve, we sit down and we go through those names and we create a list of names who have been nominated. Rick Kent's going to nominate probably somebody different than, than uh, Kelly Vincent is going to. He's going to nominate two guys. He's going to nominate two guys. But one guy on that list might be the same person. 
So the five of us sit back there, and we go through that list, and we make a list together of the deacons that are going to end up being, uh, the men that are going to be invited to be on the ballot. Here's, here's where it comes in where we have church approval, though. If for any reason the men who are nominated, if, if one of those five men on that nominating committee, if, if we know of a reason that they are not qualified to be a deacon, their name is, I, I don't call them and say, hey, you've been nominated to be a deacon. Very quiet in here. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm serious about the men that serve as deacons here at this church. If, if, if on that, on, because we have two deacons and we have two church members and we have the pastor, somebody on that committee may know of a biblical reason that that person shouldn't serve as deacon. Now, not all of us may know that. But when we, when we present to you a ballot for you to elect men who are on this list, when we go through that process, we are presenting to you men that are biblically qualified in their conduct, in their testimony, in their home. They are biblically qualified to serve as a deacon at this church. And then we have a ballot that we can use so that that if we present to you eight or nine different names for men to be deacons, you as a church can have the confidence these men meet the biblical qualifications. So whichever two of these guys get elected, we're going to have two biblical, spiritually-minded men serving as deacons at our church. That's the choice that you have. Now, you and I want God to have... You, want, you and I want God to have a, a church full of people whose heart is right with him. And one of the ways that we function is that is we elect biblically qualified deacons. It's not a popularity contest. Uh, for, and, and we're going to get into some of these qualifications. We're going to get into some of these qualifications later. But, I mean, we're not going to lower the biblical standard just so I can avoid hurting, or I can avoid hurting someone's feelings in this. Your feelings are, and, and I'm not being harsh here, but your feelings are not nearly as important to me as God's approval when it comes to the function of our church, and you ought to feel the same way about me. You, we have to allow God's word, church, to direct us. And I'm saying all of this because the closer we get to Christ's coming, the more narrow-minded and bigoted that's going to sound. We, we just can't have anybody serving as a deacon. We won't have women serving as deacons in this church. We, we just won't. The Bible's clear on that. I'm not a sexist. I'm, I'm a biblicist. That's not making anything less of a woman. In fact, I, I think if you'll look at church history... Wherever Christianity has entered into a culture, the role of a woman has been elevated, not denigrated. Don't buy into the don't buy into the the media's report on Christianity and how it denigrates women. It really doesn't. Well, we need to we probably need to wrap this up. You've been sitting for a while, and we're talking a lot about deacons. So, do we still need deacons in churches today? Absolutely, and we need them biblically qualified. So here's my closing here's my closing statement to you. Churches need deacons who take up the mantle of serving their brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's what they ought to look like. Biblically minded, spiritually mature, servant-hearted men who have the glory of God as their priority. That's that's where they need to be. This is this is why we have deacons. So I want to encourage you, start praying now. We're not having the elections till December 17th, but start praying now that God will give us the deacons that we need. Ask God to help us put our personal opinions or emotions aside. Ask for heavenly wisdom as we elect these deacons. And I'll even, go, I'll even say this, elect, electing the 10 officers that we have, same thing. I enjoy the unity that we have. With We have 10 officers and six deacons and a pastor back there conducting these meetings, and we enjoy wonderful unity. You know why that is? 
because there's 16 men back there who are not concerned about their personal agenda. What they want to see is God glorified at Faith Baptist Church. We're seeking to make much, making much of Jesus even in the business of this church. I love it. I, I enjoy our church's unity. But I don't want to take it for granted because I know Satan can't stand it. So put those personal agendas aside. Right choices in choosing deacons and officers. They will, that will continue to help us enjoy God's blessing, God's unity, and growth in our church. I love it when people come in here and they say, well, you know, we're looking for a new church. We just walked into your building today for the first time. And you know what we, we noticed immediately? There's no tension here. That makes my heart break for the church they're coming from. God help us if as Christians we, we have a service and we have a body that's gathering, so, gathering somewhere and it's, it's, just a, it's just tense. I, I don't like that. God's got such a better plan for the church. Use these messages hopefully to help you when we choose deacons here and not just this year. There's nothing special about this year. Uh, this is just something God put on my heart and and I thought, you know, we've never done this as far as I know. Maybe a, a message here or there, but not a, not a brief series. So tonight, the reason for deacons in a church is to help serve the body. That's the reason for them. Now, here in Acts, uh, here in Acts chapter 6, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to get these three things. They need to be good, godly, gifted men. Paul's going to expand on that later. And that's what we're going to look at next week, Lord willing, looking at the requirements. Tonight, the reason. Next week, the requirements for a deacon. The requirements for them. And let's see, let's see what happens, all right? Does that make sense? Am I, I don't want to bore you, but I do want you, I, church, I want, us to have a, I want us to have such a good grasp on the scriptures that whenever anything comes into our facility or into our ministry, I want us to say, we're not offending the scripture with that, are we? And even the process of electing deacons and searching these men out, let's use the Bible to let us guide, let, let guide us. And, and the Holy Spirit's fully capable of directing us toward two guys that can fit on this team. And if you're nominated and not elected, that's not a slam against you. That's just the Holy Spirit doing his thing, and you may get, you may get elected next time around. I don't know. This is, this is what we want, though, right? You don't want me in charge of the church. You don't want deacons or officers in charge of the church. You want the head, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be directing everything about our church. Let's let him do that. All right? Let's stand together. I appreciate your, your, your willingness to uh, accommodate this sermon series. I hope it's beneficial to our church. And I hope you'll be praying now about those men that God's going to put into our, our deacon team this, uh, this coming year. And our church officers, too. But particularly, we're looking at this biblical office. I think it will be advantageous to us. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed, all right? Father, we are your people. This is your church. It's not mine. It's not ours. We say it's ours just because we relate to this, this group that gathers together and calls ourselves Faith Baptist Church. But ultimately, this is your church, Jesus. And we look to you as our head. And we pray that in the days ahead, we'll be preparing our hearts for the election of these two deacons. And Lord, give us, give us servant-hearted men. And at the end of the day, Lord, help every one of us to have a servant heart to where we prefer, like Paul said, we prefer others instead of ourselves. Thank you for making this practical. Thank you for the instruction we have in it. Help us to be honest with you and honest with your word in the way we conduct everything at Faith Baptist. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you, church. If